What's going on, FCS football fans? Welcome to the Football Game Plan FCS Opening Drive Podcast, presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. I am David Hassig, and here with the czar of the playbook, Emery Hunt. Emery, good morning. Good morning, Dave. What's going on with you, man? Oh, you know, just another crazy weekend. I'm just <laughs> sick to my stomach over the Jets. Trust us, folks, we're not going to replay for anything tonight. I am telling you that right now. Uh, folks, don't forget, this is the FCS Opening Drive Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at the FCS Kickoff, at FCS Opening Drive, and follow my man Emery at FBall Game Plan on Twitter. Go to iTunes, search Football Game Plan Podcast, and subscribe. Give us that five-star rating. I think we deserve it. I, I mean, think so, that, too. That, that, that's just me, personally. Uh, don't forget to follow us on YouTube as well, FCS Kickoff, and all the other Football Game Plan videos on Football Game Plan Network, youtube.com slash football game plan. Let's do a quick wrap-up of what in the world is going on this week. I mean, it, it's been absolute craziness. We're into the home stretch run right now. Some crazy games this weekend. Columbia comes from behind. They beat Penn 34-31. Northern Iowa upsets number seven North South Dakota State 38-18. South Dakota, we heard their fight song just now, 56-6 over Indiana State. The Sycamores, well, right now they're sick to their stomach. Uh, Wofford, they get by the Citadel 20-16. Kind of a surprise there. We also had some D2 schools stepping up and pulling the upset. Central State knocks off Arkansas Pine Bluff 40-35. Tuskegee knocks off Jackson State. This one wasn't close, 33-7. to But it feels like the cream is kind of rising to the top in some of the big conferences. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you talk about those two games in the SWAC with Central State and Tuskegee. Usually a team either loses to Tuskegee maybe by like two or three points, but this was straight dominance of Jackson State. Um, I was also just impressed with the amount of offensive firepower across the FCS. Teams are putting up 40 points, 50 points. Um, that's impressive. And we we will start to see that around this part of the season as offenses start to find their rhythm, get settled in, and really start hitting their stride. So we should see some more great offensive play this weekend moving forward. Absolutely. And we got some drama coming up, too. We're getting into that heart of the season where you get the big matchups. The MEAC, we got some big games coming up. We got some big games coming up in the NEC where you got a bunch of teams at the top. And the Ivy League could be decided this weekend. This has got some big games coming up. But let's talk about what happened this weekend, and there was a ton of overtime drama to talk about this week. Um, let's start things off with the team that's having a dream season, and that is Columbia. They defeated Penn uh, 34-31, 21 points in the fourth quarter for Columbia. <laughs> they and make it exciting, don't they? <laughs> Anders Hill, oh my goodness. This young, this young man needs to – people need to notice that this kid's got some talent. I mean, and the guy we brought up last episode – Josh Wainwright, the wide mm -hmm. receiver, he had a huge day and ended up catching the game winner. So, Columbia, what a job Al Bagnoli has done so far this season with that football team. And to be able to turn around that program in year two. Oh, completely. It, it's remarkable. But, again, it's a testament to recruiting and developing and also putting guys in the right position and having those guys believe that they can win. They now go into games expecting to win. This was a game – Last year, Columbia probably would have lost. It's over by halftime. Exactly. And so, it's, especially against that football team, Penn, they have a great receiver in their own right in Justin Watson. And so, and we talked about this last episode where, yes, you, you can let Justin Watson score. Just make sure nobody else on that Penn team scores. And their defense was able to step up when he needed them to. And I was just impressed with how uh, confident this team was going into that fourth quarter and then going into that overtime session. Absolutely. Another overtime game. It wasn't the seven overtime that we saw in the FBS a couple <laughs> weeks ago. Four overtimes were needed for Central Connecticut State to knock off Wagner 51-45. Cameron Nash, he had a good game until overtime. Then he had a great game. He scored all three of his touchdowns in the overtime session, including the game winner. What a game this was. It was a great game. And, and credit to Coach uh, Hotaling for Wagner. I know Wagner is playing without their starting quarterback, Alex Thompson, uh, but Coach O'Talley has those guys playing hard and playing physical. And they they ran up against a team in Central Connecticut State that's just like Columbia. Yeah. I mean, you talk about a team that was in the doldrums last year. They get some guys back healthy. They get some guys back uh, this season. Their secondary is phenomenal. Offensively, that's where I've, I've seen the biggest improvement 
because they really couldn't score last year. Now they're scoring in bunches. Absolutely. And got to give a shout-out, too. As you said with Wagner, Luke Massai stepped in at quarterback, had three touchdown passes uh, yes, uh, this weekend. And Isaiah Johnson, 32 carries for 236 in the loss. I mean, that's a good performance no matter what the result. Obviously, he would have wanted the W. Another game to look at here, and I talked about Murray State. I know some of y'all were laughing. They took Eastern Illinois to the brink. They lose in double overtime, 27-24, but I think Eastern Illinois might have been exposed a little bit. Just a little bit. I, I, just a little bit. Just a little bit. I, I, w- I would say Eastern <laughs> Illinois, to me, it, they fall into the same category as Wofford. Um, they're, they're good, but they're questionable. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I mean, just like we have the word intrigue, we're going to start questionable. Introdu- questionable. I mean, Murray State <laughs> with two touchdowns in the fourth quarter, too. Uh, Eastern Illinois had this game locked down. Right. It didn't end up that way. Shout so. out to Murray State, though, the Racers, because they, they replaced, had to replace a, a dynamic quarterback themselves. Uh, last season, they had one of their prolific passers, and now they're going in. You know, you expect them to have a drop off, but. You don't expect yeah. a team to, to come out with the blocks like they have, and they've been competitive in every game. So shout-out to the Racers. And speaking of blocks, shout-out to Terrell Greer, who blocked a field goal for Murray State to end it in the second overtime on a 38-yarder. So well done to him. He's the hero. And the last OT game we want to talk about here was one of the anticipated games of the weekend, number one North Dakota State taking on number eight Youngstown State. North Dakota State survives 27-24, but what's happened to Youngstown State? They're now 3-3. Three and three. Right. It seems like we were talking about them as a team that had a beeline straight to Frisco, Texas, where they were last year. But they might not make the playoffs. Exactly. And that's the that's the scary part, because we know how tough this conference is. Oh, yeah. And you, you have a team like North Dakota State, whose leading rusher is their quarterback, Easton Stick. And we also brought up how Stick has been playing well above uh, the uh, well above the shoulders as far as passes is concerned. He hadn't thrown an interception. Yeah, all season long. Yeah, so he's doing it well on both ends. His rushing is obviously the story of this ball game. Had over what 170 yards rushing on the ground, and Youngstown State. I'm, I I don't know what's going on. You know, they, they're they can run the ball with McCaster, yeah. and their defense is excellent. I I don't know. I I can't pinpoint what happened with this team that is now sitting at three and three. Yeah, I think it's psychological. They got all the pieces. They right. got all the pieces to to go to the playoff and make a deep run. It, there's something mental that's going on there that, that is just not working. Also, shout out to Cam Peterson who hit the 36-yard field goal to win it. Shout out to the kickers. <laughs> Got to respect the kickers. Nobody knows their names until they actually <laughs> do something <laughs> heroic. Right. But you know what? Shout out to the kickers. Uh, let's move on to another team that was kind of surprising. No overtime this time. Morgan State. Where did this come from? They beat Savannah 48-28. Now, Savannah State, they they're not having a good year either. But, I mean, this team had more rushing yards in this game than they had in the previous five games combined almost. And both backs went over 100 yards. Now, again, I did the color commentary on that ball game, so I saw this up close and personal. And shout out to Coach Fred T. Farrier, the head coach over there at Morgan State. This was the offense we expected to see coming into the season. Yeah. You bring in Elijah Staley, uh, the big transfer from Mississippi State. He comes in. He plays phenomenal football. When I'm talking about passing from a pure passing standpoint, this guy did it all in his ball game. From a accuracy standpoint, from a decisiveness standpoint, the balls were where they were supposed to be. Receivers didn't have to break stride. He was hitting plays deep down the field, short down the field. But their offensive line was the story of this ball game because they just blew Savannah State off the ball. That's why those running backs went over 100 yards. And the defense, which has been good all season long, was still good in this ball game. And Savannah State scored those points. They scored on the opening play of the ball game, right? An uh, 80-yard. Swing pass. Nobody was. It was a blown coverage. I think Morgan State may have had ten guys on the field. So Savannah State scored an <laughs> opening play, and everybody was like, "Oh, here we go again." And that was it. That's all you heard from Savannah State until the fourth quarter. So if Morgan State and quietly they are, I believe, one and zero now in conference or two and zero in conference. Yeah. Oh no, one and zero in conference. One and zero in conference. Yeah. So if this offense can have a repeat performance, we talk about fly in the ointment teams in the MEAC. Morgan State could be one. This team had 31 points in their first five games. They were shut out in their first three. They got 48 this week. It was impressive, too. The offensive coordinator. And they scored on all kind of – look, the Morgan State calling in. They want to see what's going on. <laughs> but they, um, they scored on all – they scored on defense. And this was a team that has blocked a, a punt in every game. They oh. blocked a punt in this game and brought it back for a touchdown. So they got it done on all three facets. So this was an impressive game, the most impressive game I've seen under Fred T. Ferrier. 
we go from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows, and all I can say is Bueller. <laughs> Bueller. Does anyone want the Patriot League? I think the only one right now is Lehigh, to be perfectly honest. What has happened to this conference? This is a conference that we were looking at last year, and we're thinking, okay, we're going to get it maybe two teams out of this conference of the postseason, even though it's a small conference. It's Northeast football, which never gets any respect. I think I think we're seeing why they didn't give them any respect, because this year, what's happened? This used to be a defensive league, right? You what could defense? always count right, but you could always <laughs> count on Colgate defense, Bucknell defense, uh Holy Cross was always uh solid defensively. Georgetown's defense is always good. Fordham was opportunistic on defense, but now we're seeing a, a league that has given up a ton of points defensively. Lehigh giving up the most with over 315. Um, Fordham, 289. Georgetown, 204. Bucknell, 140. And they're the best defense, quote-unquote, in the conference. Mm. Offensively is where we've seen uh, the, the production drop off. Colgate is usually the team that can run the football and dominate teams up front. We know Lehigh can't score points. They still are able to score points. Fordham's offense is where I've had the biggest question mark, you know, so far this season. They haven't been able to do anything. Chase Edmonds has been banged up. Their passing game has tried, but they don't even have the offense. And, and poor Holy Cross just fell off the map. Yeah. It, this, this, it's amazing that right now Lehigh lost their first five games. They're 2-5 and five overall. They are the top of the conference with a 2-0 and o record. That's how bad this conference has gotten. It, it, I, I I can't see – I can't point to anything besides that defensive play. The offenses are still good. They should be able to win some games with just their offense. But, I mean, this is what you look at at the Big 12 and the FBS level. You can put up as many points as you want. If you can't stop anybody, what's the point? And, and here's the thing. Holy Cross lost four straight – has lost four straight games, right? And we were at the point earlier in the season when they were 2-1. and one, They had a close loss in a game that they had won against UConn. It was like, hey – Maybe Holy Cross is going to run run away with the Patriot League. They go on this four game losing streak, but now you still have Lehigh. You mentioned two and zero in the conference. Lafayette is still two and zero in the <laughs> Patriot League. So, and, they, and just when I started to prop them up, they go out and get blown out by Harvard, who has finally found their offense. We talked about this last episode where Harvard is still Harvard. At some point, they'll figure yeah. it out. So they found themselves back in the mix down there. Harvard is still intriguing. We'll get intriguing. to them in a bit. Um, let's move on to some. of We had a couple more upsets uh, this week. And we had one that I think some of us could have predicted. Southern Utah knocks off Weaver State. Still a bit of a shock, but I, I think this was one that you could look at and you're like, you know, maybe, maybe. Southern Utah is a underrated side. Right. I don't know if they're going to make the playoffs this year, but if they keep doing what they did against Weaver State, they got a shot. They got a shot. And, and Patrick Tyler, the quarterback, uh, had a great day. 281 yards passing, three touchdowns. And he has quiet, quietly put together a solid two-year career uh you know, back-to-back season so far for the Thunderbirds. And, you know, he's a guy that we have to start talking about as probably an all-conference performer. Yeah. Um, the three touchdown passes. Really, I was shocked at this score because I thought Weber State's offense, you know, is – Yeah, you, you know, thought it was going to be a shootout. Exactly. Sort of I, didn't, I didn't see their defense falling apart like this. I didn't even see their offense sputtering against Southern Utah. So, And talk about defense. What is – I mean, props to Southern Illinois. They knock off Illinois State. I don't think anybody saw this game even being a win for Southern Illinois. Never mind by this scoreline, 42-7. to The Saluki defense forced and recovered two fumbles. They had three interceptions. And then Sam Straub goes out and passes for 368 and four scores. I mean, that's a great story, but what has happened to the Cardinals? Talk about laying an egg, <laughs> pun intended. Uh, the Redbirds went out there and straight forgot how to play football. And we were just... I don't even know their nickname. That's how far they've fallen now. I mean, that's it. We were just talking about this team last episode about them being one of those teams that, that could make some noise. And, I, you know, that's what's so interesting about the FCS. Like, week to week, it's always something. Yeah. You know, and just when you think you got a handle on it, you really don't. Nope. <laughs> it's, it's always – it's ridiculous how, how much par- – it's great. I'm saying ridiculous in a positive sense how great the parity is in the football championship subdivision. Covering the FCS is is kind of like covering Randy Moss. You think you got him covered until all of a sudden he's 15 yards beyond you, and you're like, wait, what just happened? Right. <laughs> That's basically right. what this is at this point. Um, let's talk about some other teams, though, that barely got by this week. Wofford barely beats the Citadel. Granted, this is the third straight loss to the Citadel, who were ranked for all three of these weeks. So they're falling off. 
but still, they only won. Wofford only wins this game 20 to 16. Sam Houston State barely gets past Northwestern State 40 to 36. Dartmouth barely knocks off Sacred Heart, and then Central Arkansas gets tested by Stephen F. Austin. Which of these teams got exposed? Do you think? I think Sam Houston State got exposed a little bit. Okay, because now teams are starting to figure out their offense, and yeah. their defense is not as stout as we expected it to be. Because we expected their offense to beat everybody, you know, get out to a thirty-point lead and then coast. But teams are really taking it to the Bearcats' defense, and also Briscoe has turned the ball over. So yeah. that right there is something he, we didn't see from him last season. So now teams aren't afraid of Sam Houston State, which is why it was surprising to see Northwestern State go go down there and, and compete hard. Now, Dartmouth had to come back and beat Sacred Heart. And Sacred Heart is a team that's going to always be strong on both sides of the line of scrimmage. Yeah, definitely. So I, I do think Sam Houston State was the one that got exposed. Wofford and Citadel, I'm not surprised that game was close because both are option teams. They both know each other well. They both are built to stop whatever they run. And uh, Central Arkansas, I think they maybe they got caught looking ahead. Yeah, Central Arkansas has got the toughest conference, I think, right. for sure, out of the bunch. You look at what Southeastern Louisiana has done this year. Nichols, even McNeese could get, you know, as a our Sam Houston still 5-1 in the, in the Southland. So. Exactly. But I, I'm Wofford, they're undefeated. They're getting love in the top 25. I still can't see why. They may be the shakiest in the top, in the top 25, in my opinion. They're the shakiest anywhere. I mean, this, I'm, this is a conference. Again, you've got Furman. Western Carolina and Samford are just sitting there waiting for them to slip up. And after a game like this, I think you're expecting them to slip up. And if you have the ability to do it, I mean, Western Carolina is going to think – I think they're going to put this team to the torch. When, when do they play Furman is, is going to be key because Furman looks like a team that I think could be one of those sleeper teams that can jump into the – get in that large bid and really uh, make some noise in the playoffs because I didn't expect the Paladins to be this good this season – um, they they have a new coach, you know he's doing his job and they are playing with confidence. They're getting off the mat, so I'm ex- I'm excited to see how this SoCon is going to shake out because, like you mentioned, you have Wofford. The Citadel is falling off. You also have um, Mercer. You have to keep an eye on. Yep. Uh, Sanford has found some defense and has won two straight games. And you know, like I said, Furman is has won four straight. They're four and three on the season, three and one in the SoCon. So we will see. I, you know, I will say this about Wofford. I'll give them because they've already beaten Furman, but they did by a point okay. the opening week. They beat Western Carolina, but they took them overtime. So they ah. are. I will give them the credit. They are. They are finding ways to win games, and they're winning close games, and they're winning close games, which you have to respect. I mean, right. the only game that they have not actually, the only game I'm looking at their schedule now, the only game they didn't win by less than ten points was Presbyterian, where they beat th- they beat them thirty-one seven. But so they they won by one point against Furman. One point against Mercer, three against Gardner-Webb, four against the Citadel, and seven against Western Carolina in overtime. So they beat Western Carolina, Furman, and Mercer. But they have Samford this week. That's going to be a good game. Because that's their – and they beat the Citadel. So this is their only test. Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Chattanooga's had a down year. Eastern Tennessee State, eh, maybe. Flying the ointment. But you also have the key debts of VMI. Don't worry about them. Hey, it's option ball, man. They you only said scored, option ball. They only scored 58 <laughs> points this season. I wouldn't worry about VMI <laughs> right now. So, Wofford, if Wofford gets past Sanford, they can go undefeated. They could run the table, but I, I can almost guarantee That's you. That's crazy. I can, and I can hear the tweets being sent already. <laughs> if Wofford goes undefeated, and, and, and I don't think they will because their last game is against South Carolina. That's the game that was postponed by the Hurricanes. Listen, South Carolina lost, I want to say, two years ago to the Citadel. True. But, come on. The way this Wofford team is playing, come on. They may have a lot of confidence going into that <laughs> ball game. They should have confidence. That's going to get doused quickly because at this point, even if they go in with one loss, <laughs> I see them losing in the first round. Done. Even if they get a bye. The first game they play in the playoffs, they is play any team that knows. I mean, I mean, the defensive qualities are okay. Their defense is not bad. But I don't. Uh, why, why don't we believe in Wofford? I mean, you tell me. You're the one who started the whole thing. <laughs> but I think it's uh, maybe it's because of how they're doing it. They don't look impressive doing it. Yeah, they get it done. They're, it's ugly. It's ugly football. Like it's like when the Chiefs, the Kansas City Chiefs, started out that year nine and zero. Yeah, but you knew they weren't that good. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's, it's that kind of feel for me. I, I, I just, uh, I, I can, I have the trepidations with them. I, I, uh, 
They're winning ball games. What can I say? You can't, I can't right. You got to give I, credit to where credit is due. I can't they do winning anything. ball games. Again, this is Football Game Plans, FCS Opening Drive Podcast uh, with myself, David Hasegan, and Emery Hunt. Don't forget to follow us uh, at the FCS Kickoff, at FCS Opening Drive, and at FBall Game Plan. And follow us on YouTube, youtube.com slash football game plan, all presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Um, let's move into our uh, next topic here. And we're going to talk about the least appreciated position outside of the O-line on offense, and that is the tight end. It becomes so important now in today's NFL when you look at the success that a guy like Rob Gronkowski has had, Travis Kelsey has had, and how big they are for their teams. And we've got some guys here that you think could be, make a difference on Sundays at that tight end position coming out of the FCS. I'm going to start with Andrew Vollert out of Weber State, the senior, 6'5", 245, out of San Mateo, San Mateo California. Yeah, he's one of those guys that fits the new age – tight end position in the NFL. You know, one of those flex tight ends, right. a Cameron Brake type guy. And, and just from the just to give an overview of the position in general. Um the reason why we're seeing so much talent at the FCS level here at the tight end position is because the, the development issue. Coming out of high school, these right. guys are probably let's say Vollard. You said 6'5", 245 or something like that, right? Right. So he's probably he probably was 6'4", maybe 215. Right. Coming out of high school. Yeah, yeah. And not fast enough to be a receiver. Lanky wide receiver. Lanky that wide receiver. Kind of, yeah. You know, that you kind of. Corner route guy. Exactly. And they was like, well, maybe we could turn this guy into a tight end. So he goes to a program that sees the potential. They develop him. And now he becomes a dynamic receiving tight end. Yeah. And so that's why we're seeing so much talent right now at the FCS level is because they're getting guys that are not fully developed coming out of high school. And they're getting diamonds in a rough. So Vollard is a guy that. He's, he's going to be the one that can stretch the defense down the middle of the field, can win one-on-one matchups versus safeties and corners. So he's going to be a good one. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him get maybe a Shrine game yeah. invite um, because this position is deep across the board. Even within the FBS, there are some really good tight end prospects this year. And, um, you know, even like you get a guy that's a good blocking tight end like Cameron Scaff of Dartmouth, yeah. a big part of their running game. So I, I think – when you look for what you want at the pro level, you want a little bit of both. So, so far, I've seen so much tight end talent at the FCS. Absolutely. And you talked about Cameron Scaff, who has, you know, had his, he's had three great years at Dartmouth, now in his senior year um, out of Haymarket, Virginia. Again, a guy you said, as you said, that's the kind of, he's kind of the older age of, of tight end, much more in the running game, much more involved there. But do you think he has potential to really expand that at the next level? I think so. I think he's doing a great job what he's being asked to do. Um, I know Coach Buddy Tevens does a great job in recruiting guys that can make plays. So we know he can make plays. And he's been on that radar for a while. Now, I think he, he was one of those preseason names that you saw on, on many lists. And it's just interesting to see him not have the production this year. I don't know if he's injured. Or what? Yeah, I don't think he's had a single catch, so he might be injured. Might be injured, but yeah. he's a name that you know a lot of people talk about uh, coming into the season. Dallas Godard is the other name that everyone talks about. He may get the Senior Bowl invite. Rightfully so. I mean, he's leading that South Dakota State offense in yards receiving at this point in the year. So, I mean, you look at Goddard. I mean, six four as again that size that you're kind of close to, and you know that Gronkowski type size. 260, though. This guy's tough to bring down when he gets the ball. Yeah, and, and he's a legit wide receiving threat, too. And, and so what's interesting about him is that he's a guy that you you really have the game plan for. And you mentioned the Rob Gronkowski-type comparison. You could also toss in the Travis Kelsey-type comparison. He catches the football and is able to break tackles. He has a little flair about him. Yeah. Um, so he works well off of what Jake Winnicky does, a wide receiver for South Dakota State. And Godard has been the most talked about tight end coming from the FCS. And, he again, he may get that senior bowl. I think he's going to get that senior bowl invite because yeah. he has a ton of attention. Absolutely. Another guy that some people might not know too much about, though, is Ross Dwelly. He's coming out of San Diego. It's Pioneer League, so that's why he, he kind of gets forgotten. But this kid's got the size. He's got the talent. He's got 17 catches for three touchdowns this year. I mean – Dwelly is a name that's kind of under people's radar, but that's a guy maybe you can see him in the sixth or seventh round go, go to somewhere. Well, that's why you listen to Football Game Plans, FCS Open Drive Podcast, right? Absolutely. And, because, <laughs> and that's why you watch the FCS kickoff, because if those people know, they know we talk, we deep dive in, the, in these uh, NFL draft prospects, because we gave people 
two outstanding San Diego Terrero prospects last year uh, on the cornerback position. Jamal Agnew, who had a touchdown against the New Orleans Saints this past weekend on a punt return. Yep. Had one against the New York Giants on a punt return. Yep. Was drafted in, I think, the third or fourth round, and people was like, who is this guy? Well, football gameplay knew who he was. We knew it a long time we ago. We knew a long time ago. So, And I tried to tell people earlier in the year, if you like Dallas Goldert, you're going to like Ross Dwelly. Dwelly reminds me a lot of a, a guy that plays for the Cleveland Browns right now in Seth DeValve. A mm. fluid athlete, good route runner, good hands, big piece of their passing game. And Dwelly is probably going to be an NFL PA game invite, okay. which is played out in Los Angeles. Yeah. Local guy, he's probably going to get in that ball game. But he's one that has tremendous talent. That's a guy I think you could see the Chargers of the Rams go after, I right. think. I, especially the Chargers. They need all the help they can get. He's your quintessential number two tight end that you can use as an H-back or a flex as a receiver. And great in the red zone. Exactly. Because everybody's focused on the number one guy. Let's talk about it. I mean, we've talked about how key some of these tight ends are. One guy that's been key to, to this team this year is Ryan Bell out of Villanova. He's tied for the team lead in catches. He's tied for the team lead in touchdowns and leader in yards. Out of Villanova, again, another school where you wouldn't expect to come out of high school in New Jersey, out of Ridge, which is an underrated high school program, always produces pretty good players uh, going to all levels of college football. But Ryan Bell, I mean, he's a little undersized. He's 6'2". Is this a guy you see more of a wide receiver threat as we go forward, or is he still a tight end in your view? He's still a tight end in my view. He's still an H-back, and I think he just had an injury recently. So um, that's another thing you got to worry about with, with him. However... This is a guy that's your your quintessential H-back type, 6'3", 230, yeah. detached, can block, obviously coming out of that program, um, has really good hands. He came on my radar uh, last year when uh, I was at the St. Francis game, the playoff game. I was like, man, this, this H-back, this tight end is really good. Smooth yeah. route runner. So he, I think moving forward he's like uh, that fullback H-back type. Right. So, you know – like a what's the kid that plays for Red Ellison? Ellison, yeah, that plays for the Giants. So yeah. he's like he's in that mold, and I think he's gonna be a real good player moving forward. Absolutely. And one other guy we, I, I, we want to talk about, and we've trashed the Patriot League time and time again, but Bucknell is holding a hidden gem, and that is Andrew Podbielski. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not good with Polish names. Uh, <laughs> six three two forty out of Darlington, Pennsylvania. Another senior guy who hasn't gotten too many targets, not too many catches this year, but is certainly someone to watch. Yeah, and it's interesting because they utilize their tight ends differently. They just started to throw the football to the tight ends this season. Yeah. Um, but we've known their tight ends to be more of blockers uh, in their running game. So people are starting to get familiar with his game as a receiver. Yeah. I was at the Monmouth game and uh, saw him work down the middle of the field, saw him have you know, some success and had a big play in the early part of the game, then they went back to blocking with him and things of that nature. So he can do both. Uh, he's in the mold of Ryan Bell. I think he's going to be a really good yeah. H-back at the next level. The age of the clunky tight end is gone. Like I, I remember growing up watching Jets games with Anthony Becht. Right. And you know he had good hands at the time. Like he was, but he's still this big, clunky six-seven blocking guy, two-seventy. That age of the tight end is long gone, mm-hmm. and we're starting to see really the transition now into the college game of these guys that five years ago would have been a diamond in the rough, a one one of a kind, like a Rob Gronkowski or Travis Kelsey. Now we're seeing so many more of them coming up, especially the FCS level and the FBS level. Um, let's go now, and let's talk about, as we're getting into the end of the season here, we've, we've got only about two, three or four weeks left here as we're going into week eight. And we've always, we, this is a debate as that goes back in every level of college ball. In FBS, you're talking, is it the SEC? Is it the ACC? Where does the Big 12 fit in? And it's the power of the conferences. And the, now, the Missouri Valley Football Conference, rightfully so, has gotten a lot of attention. They've got some big programs. they got a lot of great teams. But are they the most dominant conference in the FCS? The Blue Bloods, I think, are going to be in for a rude awakening this year when they get to the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, because when you're talking about the Missouri Valley, it's just the Missouri Valley is just like the SEC, you know, as far as like – Murderers Row. Right, and when you're talking about them, you're really only talking about four teams, yep. right? You're talking about the SEC. You're talking about Alabama, LSU. Georgia. Sometimes Georgia. This it, year, it, Georgia. Right, this year, Georgia. Sometimes if the East Division is tricky because sometimes it's either it's, Georgia it's, or Florida. It's, it's like two teams. It's Alabama, Auburn most years, right. and then 
the two that are good this year. Exactly, right. And so Because you're never talking about Kentucky. You're never talking about <laughs> Mississippi State. You're never talking about Vanderbilt. You're never talking about Arkansas. So I feel like with the Missouri Valley Conference, you're only talking about North Dakota State, South Dakota State, Youngstown State, and sometimes Northern Iowa or Illinois State, whoever is good that year, but right? this year. This year. South Dakota is out of there. Is, Western Illinois is right there with them. Right. And, and so now you look at the depth of the conference. And you're like, yeah. okay, now we're talking about six teams in. And so you're not talking about Indiana State. Normally you are talking about the Sycamores. Yeah. Um, Missouri State is kind of an up-and-coming program in Southern Illinois. But I know – a lot of people love the Missouri Valley Conference, but right now, for for me, pound for pound, the CAA is the best conference in the FCS. And I, I think that like, you talk about depth of the conference. Missouri Valley has already always had at least the last five six years the best one or two teams in the country. Right. But when you look, talk about depth, the CAA has had that for a long, long time. I mean, you look at these programs. JMU, of course, recently has come really to dominance, um, and. Previous years, we've talked about Richmond. We've talked about Villanova. UNH has always been strong. Delaware's had its years where it's been up there. But this year, we're talking about Elon is coming up. Stony Brook is coming up. Albany is a 500 team. They're usually defensively one of the best teams in the conference. They still are, but they're sitting right in the middle of the road, and that's not even counting out William & Mary, Towson, Maine, and Rhode Island, who on any given week can beat anybody. Right, and that's the other part, too. William & Mary is down here at 2-4, 0-3 in the conference, but William & Mary is one of those historic blue blood programs that we are yeah. normally seeing in the playoffs or in the mix. Uh, Towson is normally in the middle of the pack right now, uh, you know, in their, in this conference. But right now they're having a down year because of youth and inexperience. Maine defensively is always in the top tier of this, this conference. And Albany got off the mat last year and became a playoff team or should have been a playoff team, I believe. Uh, so top to bottom, depth-wise, numbers-wise, it's, I mean, the CAA is good and, and real good. They're deep. So I would say the CAA is the tougher conference uh, in this in the FCS this year. But we have another one. I'm going to disagree with you because I'm thinking you. this is going to sound weird. And, again, FBS, you always talk. It's ACC and SEC, and then there's that third conference. That's that rotates. Moving. Every once in a while, it, you know, a couple years ago it was the Big 12. Now it's the Pac-12 coming right. up. The Southland Conference is so underrated, and they're coming back up to the top. I mean, there were about 10 years ago, I think, it was you had Stephen F. Austin, Sam Houston State that were getting a lot of headlines because of their mm-hmm. crazy offense. And, again, it, it's a similar type of conference to the Big 12 where it's a lot of offense. It's uh, normally an offensive league, but Central Arkansas is now up there, Nichols, Southeastern Louisiana, McNeese, Sam Houston, and you still have teams like Abilene Christian that can cause problems. Northwestern State almost got a win last week over Central Arkansas, the top team in the conference. The Southland is deep. I would argue they're deeper than the CIA. And they're going to get better because yeah. you have to realize Abilene, Christian, Incarnate Word, Houston Baptist, Lamar, let's say Incarnate Word, Houston Baptist, and Lamar are all new programs. You know, Lamar came back in 2010. Houston Baptist and Incarnate Word, I believe, came back in 2010 or 11. Um, so those are still fairly new programs. Right. So this conference was really a, about the same size as the Missouri Valley. So And, and Abilene Christian was a Division II program that moved up. Right. So when those teams get caught up to speed, they're in fertile recruiting areas. I mean, Houston Baptist has Houston. Lamar has the Beaumont, West Louisiana area. Yep. You know, they they kind of bleed over into McNeese State's territory. Um, Incarnate Word is another team that's, that's fertile recruiting ground. And Northwestern State, you know, they used to be one of the premier teams in the Southland. So, yes, this is a really good conference, too. Sam Houston State at some point will will get off the mat and, and get back up to n- near the top of the program. Um, Southeastern is another team that recently joined the conference, and they were competitive yeah. right away. Yeah. So, Central, Nichols, McNeese, Sam Houston, these are really good programs. So, I can understand why you would say – the Southland Conference would be the best in the in the FCS right now, but it, it would be tough to find a legitimate argument because McNeese is strong. Sam Houston is always competitive. Nichols finally got back to it. I remember them being competitive growing up right. with Darren Barbier uh, down there uh, running the, running that offense in that team, and, and they were in the doldrums for a long time, and then got off the mat when they hired Tim Rebo. And Central Arkansas has been consistent. I love the Southland. 
You know, a lot of yeah. athletes, a lot of good talent. Um, so we got three strong conferences. And what's interesting is that there are some other conferences that, that kind of fall in line. Like the yeah. Ivy League is kind of in the mix this year. The MEAC has always been competitive. Right. You know, uh, the SWAC sometimes could but have. But you never know how good those programs really right. are. But because, we always know how good yeah. these other ones are. Yeah, you know so. exactly. So I'm, I'm, you know, I love the Celebration Bowl and the whole thing, but I would love to see what those teams can do in the postseason because those are the top teams in, in the MEAC and the SWAC. And as you said, the Ivy doesn't go to the playoffs either. you got two teams that are undefeated in that conference this year. With great defenses. Yeah. And you have a team in Yale that has a really good offense that, uh, you know, that's why we have to enjoy it while we're watching it because they they don't play past the regular season. Exactly, and and, and nobody respects the Northeast ball either. I think that's I think that's a big problem. Um, but as you mentioned with the Southland, though, getting back to that real quick, Louisiana's got some good ball, and you will know that from experience. Yes, especially at the high school level with the kids they're getting out of there. Texas gets the headlines, but Louisiana and Arkansas, and if I'm if I'm Arkansas State right now. I'm worried with Central Arkansas on the rise because they're going to start stealing recruits. And if you think about it, uh, there have been reports out there that Arkansas Little Rock may start their football program, may start a football program. So that'll put another dent in that state. And what's interesting about Louisiana is that there are no JUCOs, and there's only one Division III, which is a new program in Louisiana College, and there are no Division IIs. So you're getting a lot of good talent flooding these FCS programs. Right. I mean, you got the, the major FBS programs in the state in LSU, uh, University of Louisiana, Tulane, Louisiana Tech, and UL Monroe. Right. And so you think with those six schools, the talent will be thin at the FCS level. But it's no. not. No. You know, so it's, it's, it's interesting. It's a really good state for football talent. By the way, I love how you love ULM for last in that list. Hey, once, yo, once, once, gotta, a Cajun, gotta, once a Cajun, always a Cajun. You always right? got to needle the Warhawks, man. <laughs> All right, folks, we're going to take a quick break here on the Opening Drive podcast presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Uh, coming up, we got our games of intrigue for the week. Which winless teams will actually get off the mat this week? And we got some very, very good games to watch coming up for our games of the week. We'll be right back after this break. So you've been thinking about changing careers. Well, now's the perfect time to check out Connecticut School of Broadcasting. We have nearby campuses in Stratford, Connecticut, Westbury, Long Island, and Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey. Almost everything you hear on the radio, everything you see on television and on the internet was made by a creative team of audio and video professionals. Producers, camera operators, sound designers, these are the people who work behind the scenes to make it happen. Connecticut School of Broadcasting can help you switch from your current career path to the more exciting world of audio and video production. We've placed thousands since 19. 1964. Visit GoCSB.com, call 1-800-TV-RADIO, and come in for a studio tour. It's your chance to test drive the same equipment that's used in real radio and television studios, talk to the instructors, and meet other people who share your excitement about the radio and television industry. Listen, if you're ready for a career change, if you like the idea of working behind the scenes, come in and see what a career in broadcasting is like and see if it's right for you. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has nearby campuses in Stratford, Connecticut, Westbury, Long Island, and Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or visit Go. Welcome back, folks, to the FCS Opening Drive podcast presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. David Hassigan here with Emery Hunt, the czar of the playbook. Again, folks, don't forget you can follow all of this on YouTube, youtube.com slash football game plan. Don't forget to go to footballgameplan.com slash FCS kickoff. And we're on iTunes, Football Game Plan Podcast. Subscribe, give us that five-star rating for everything FCS on the air. Emery, let's move into it now. Our now annual segment, <laughs> our games of intrigue. Not really upset picks, but intrigue. Intrigue. And we got four of them on the schedule, and we got two in the MEAC. And the first one, this one really, I'm, I love this matchup. We got Bethune-Cookman traveling to North Carolina a And this is why I love this matchup, is because it's strength versus strength at every asset. I mean, you have the number three versus the number two in total offense. But you've got the number three rushing offense against the number two rushing defense. You have Bethune-Cookman, who has the worst rush defense in the conference, against the number two rushing offense in A&T. And you've got the number one pass defense in the country in Cookman against the number one pass offense from A&T. This is strength versus strength on every phase. It's going to be right down to the wire. It has to be. Sounds like you you, you mentioned one of the weaknesses, too. Uh, The run defense of Bethune-Cookman, if they can't stop the run, they won't win this game. However, however, 
conference opponents bring familiarity. So that's and why contempt. And exactly. So <laughs> and this is a team in Bethune Cookman that I thought would be the best in the conference this year because of what they had returning. They had a ton of injuries last year. Got all those guys back. Much more mature football team, healthier, good quarterback play. So this game will be closer than people think. How close? That's that's the that's the biggest question. And that's why it's not going to be, I don't think it's going to be an upset pick, but that's why it's intriguing because this game will be a lot closer to where anything can happen. But if Bethune-Cookman does pull off the shock, they're only 2-1 in conference play. All of a sudden, they've got one loss. A&T's got one loss. Makes it them, changes things. Now the road to Atlanta becomes a five-lane highway instead of a one-way. And it's a drag race. Let's go on to our next game in the MEAC, and it involves some teams that are not getting as much attention this year. Morgan State at Howard. Uh, Morgan State, they're both com- both teams coming off a W. Uh, Morgan State, of course, with that big offensive explosion against Savannah. Howard coming off a win, big win for them against Delaware State. Is this just going to be a shootout? I don't think so. Here's why. Because you have the irresistible force against the immovable object. Morgan okay. State's defense, Howard's offense. Strength versus strength, right? Right. Something has to give. When you look at Morgan State defense, they can do a great job smothering you at every level. They can get pressure. They can also man up on the corners, have really good safeties. Carl Gorns is an outstanding safety. Howard can put points up on the board with their go-go offense led by their offensive coordinator, Brendan Marion. So which Morgan State offense will we see? That's going to be the biggest question because if they can pick up where they left off last week against Savannah State, that will put them at 2-0 in the MEAC. And – Going down the stretch, they if their offense can find – because, again, they had two 100-yard rushers, big offensive line, big-time quarterback that has now found his rhythm throwing the football with those receivers. Right. Morgan State could be a team – again, it goes from a one-way street to a five-lane highway now. So yeah. that's why this game is intriguing. Another game of intrigue goes to the Missouri Valley Football Conference – one team on the downturn, one team on the upturn. Youngstown State, losers of two in a row, including that OT loss last week to North Dakota State, traveling to take on Northern Iowa, who are coming off a win over the number seven team in the country, South Dakota State. Is this a trap game for Northern Iowa as they go back up to the top? Or will it fall right back to the mean? And will we see the Youngstown State team finally wake up and say, you know what, we're going to regain control? Because think about it, if they beat Northern Iowa – now, as far as strength of schedule and strength of opponents are concerned for the FCS playoff yeah. predicament, you're going to look at it like, okay, they beat a Northern Iowa team who beat South Dakota State, so that'll be a good win yeah. for the Penguins. Now, if you're the the Panthers, getting the name of Youngstown State on your on your uh, in your victory column bodes well for your chances, regardless of how, of how Youngstown right. State finished. Youngstown State could finish 3-9, and nine, and it's still that, hey, you beat Youngstown State. I mean, here's the thing with Youngstown State, though. Their three losses here, they lost to Pitt by seven right. on the opening week. They've lost back-to-back weeks, but to South Dakota by three. And we saw what South Dakota's done recently. Right. And they went to overtime against the Bison. So, so they're not bad. They're not bad. They're they're no, not bad. And they also have a win against South Dakota State, where they won 19-7. to seven. Is this a must-win game for Northern Iowa? I think it is for them to get to the playoffs. This is a big game for Northern Iowa. They have to win this game because they've got a loss to Iowa State, which is nothing to right. shake at this year. Iowa State is actually good this year. Exactly. They're 5-2. and two. Exactly. So that's nothing That's nothing to be ashamed of. But they got a loss to Southern Utah and Western Illinois. So I'm also, they do have a win, though, against Southern Illinois, which now is a pretty good <laughs> right. win. Now you have to worry about Southern Illinois. If they win this game, but here's the thing, it's murderer's row for Northern Iowa because you got Youngstown State this week, then they're at the Dome, at the Bison next week. South Dakota after that. Ooh. What a stretch. Ooh. And they, I mean, But they've already beaten South Dakota State, so that's number one. Right. they got three more to go. If they can beat Youngstown State and split. If they go three and one in that four-game stretch, they're in. They're, they're in. in for me. Easily. Even if they, I mean, because after that, you got Missouri State and Indiana State. Those should be wins. Even if they go two and two. Yeah. I think they have enough now to, to where they can get in. Enough We've fire. seen a yeah. six from six and five Missouri Valley Conference team get in before. So I think 
they have to split this four-game stretch. Absolutely. And there's one other game we have to look at for Games of Intrigue, and it comes out of the Ivy League again. Harvard, we're used to them at the top. They're kind of in the middle, but they could still get back to that top, and they're hosting Princeton this week, who's having a good season. Princeton 4-1. and one. Must-win game for Harvard to win the Ivy? Oh, absolutely a must-win game. And Princeton's defense has been impressive. And quietly, Harvard's defense has been good this year as well. The reason why Harvard has fallen a little bit, um, they've been inconsistent on offense. And granted, you, you'll be inconsistent on offense when you don't return right. a guy like Larry Allen Jr. up front along your offensive line. Yes. So he decided to take this year off, which hurt their offensive line because he's a legit pro prospect. So with that said, this game is a one of the blue blood battles in the Ivy League. You know, both teams are normally good. Princeton's offense is still Princeton's offense. Their defense is what has been the story this year, in my opinion. Uh, good quarterback play they're getting from Chad Kanoff. Uh, he's looked a lot better this season throwing the football. So, yes, this game is on a Friday night. It's the only FCS game, the early FCS game of the week. Yep. A lot of eyes will be on it, so we'll see. Absolutely. Again, folks, this is the FCS Opening Drive Podcast. We're talking about week eight here. Connecticut School of Broadcasting bringing this all to you. Let's talk about the winless teams. There's still a decent number of winless teams left in the FCS. Three teams got off the mat last week. Incarnate Word gets their first win of the season. Morgan State, we've talked about their offensive explosion. And Alabama State gets their first win under interim coach Donald Hill Ely. Uh, first game in charge there after our first uh, firing of the FCS season. Um, at this point, you've got seven teams that are in action this week that are winless. There are two teams that have the bye week, Tennessee Tech and Texas Southern. Um... But still on the list, Portland State, Cal Poly, Delaware State, Savannah State, Indiana State, VMI, and Jackson State. Does anybody get off the mat this week? <sighs> Man, these are some tough choices. I'll tell you this. Having seen Savannah State last week, they're not a bad team. They're just young. Right. I love their freshman quarterback, Gibbons. He's he's He was impressive in that ball game. He he didn't quit. He has some senior receivers that he can throw the ball to that, that have stepped up. Uh, David Kirkland is a really good receiver that they have. Uh, Tino Smith is a really good receiver that they have. So, and defensively, they were active and aggressive. They just couldn't get right. the job done. And they do have a winnable game this week against Charleston Southern. There you have it. You know, and so maybe Savannah State can get off the mat. But I'm just shocked that both Cal Poly and Portland State are still winless. Yeah. You, I, I thought Cal Poly would be good this year, mm-hmm. even with losing Dino Graves, the quarterback. Portland State, I thought, was going to be decent this year because of their offensive line, their defensive line, and their secondary. Yeah. So if I had to pick, I would say one of those two, either Portland State or Cal Poly, will get off the mat this week. See, I'm, I that's one of the teams I marked down as Portland State on the road against Idaho State. That's a winnable game against the Bengals, I think. I think that's a team that they can take advantage of. Um, I don't think Cal Poly gets off the mat because they're facing Weaver, and Weaver is going to be angry after losing this past week. Yeah. Uh, in a tight one. But I also want to talk about Delaware State. I think they got an outside shot to beat South Carolina State just because of the way that South Carolina State plays. I think there's an option there for Delaware State to get their first win. That will be huge for them because Buddy Pugh, head coach at South Carolina State, does a great job in in, in identifying and exploiting matchups. So yeah. we'll see if the Hornets can go go out there and pull off the upset. I, I Listen, I thought – Jackson State would be vastly improved. Um, I, I'm a big believer in, in Coach Tony Hughes. I think he's a really good coach. Texas Southern, I'm shocked that they're winless. Their defense, their secondary, I thought is is really good. Um, but I I want to I, I want to pick Savannah State, mm-hmm. but I'm going with either Portland State or Cal Poly to win the game. Okay. And Cal Poly, if they pull off the upset, would would give them a puncher's chance? Is that option attack? Yes. Yeah, and that'll also kill Weber State's chances of making the postseason for me. Oh my goodness, yeah, that would that would be a huge loss. They can't lose. They can't let one loss become two. No, especially they and, have to yeah. be focused for this game. Absolutely. Let's talk about some of these games of the week because we do have some big games to talk about uh, this week, and we're going to start actually in the Pioneer League with a game that I find. I mean, I, this is the league I cover for FCS Whip Around. Campbell at Butler. Campbell's been outstanding this year. 4-0 in the conference, 5-2 and overall. You can't sleep on the Camels, despite their nickname. Uh, <laughs> Pun intended. Yes, but the Butler Bowl is a tough place to play. 
and Butler's two and two in the conference, four and three on the year. This is not an easy game for the Camels. And Butler is coming off a big win against Jacksonville. Yes. Huge winning against Jacksonville. I thought Jacksonville was going to roll in that ball game because they got the best rushing offense in the country. And so Butler was able to shut them down and get the win. Now that makes this game intriguing. Yes. Very so, intriguing. And, I mean, you talk about this Butler team. I mean, I they are deeper than people think, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Isaac Newhouse last week had 13 tackles on the defensive side. Um, Mason Browner had I he he was outstanding in in his game plan. If this Butler defense shows up like the, what they did against Jacksonville, Campbell only put up 17 against Dayton last week. But that game was Dayton is one of those blue blood programs in the Pioneer. Yeah, so look at Dayton what they've done this year. Don't they got Yinger at tailback? Is still one of the best rushers in the FCS. Yeah, and they're still one and three in the conference and two and five overall. So you know, I'm, so that was it, a big win for them. Yes, but you're right. You know, they they struggled against Dayton, and, and but I, I really like what Campbell's doing this year, man. This is good to see this program, an uh, upstart program. Yep. You know, now they're in playoff talk. So and they are making a move next year. They're moving out of conference. They're moving up to bigger and better things into scholarship football. That's the one thing about the Pioneer League, no uh, athletic scholarships. That is changing for Campbell, and you can see that changing for Camel, uh, for the Camels coming up this se- uh, next season as they move to the Big South. That's going to make that conference so good. That conference is going to be very tough with Kennesaw State having a good year, Monmouth having a good year, and, of course, Liberty, who beat Baylor, Charleston Southern's in that conference. Big South is going to start getting back and in the middle And Liberty's move, vacating. They're moving up to the to uh, become an FBS independent. Yeah. So they're going to uh, – Campbell's going to replace them. Presbyterian is always going to be like the fly in the ointment. Yeah. So – They're just there. They're, they're just there. <laughs> love the blue holes. Love what they do. Tommy Spanger is an outstanding coach. So, yes, that conference is going to be one to watch next year. Let's move on to the SOCON now. And another interesting game here, Mercer at Furman. This is a big game. This is a huge game for a potential for a second team out of the SoCon getting into the postseason. Furman has been impressive. Yes. I mean, on offense and on defense. They have a new head coach. First year there, he's doing great things. So, Mercer is an upstart program. Coach Lamb has done a great job uh, building this program from the ground up and making them competitive. They've been on the cusp of playoff football for about two years now. Right. And so they've had a couple of close losses here and there that have really pushed them out of the playoffs. But this is a game that they have to win. I don't think they have room for error to lose another game. No. They don't have the cachet of a Northern Iowa to be 6-5 and five and get in. They got to really run the table. And this is a huge game on the road against a Paladin team that is playing – some outstanding football right now absolutely the paladins i think could be a team that could get in right i mean both these teams though as you said they're four and three you dropped off that fourth loss that basically doesn't unless you win the conference let's move on to the caa and we talk about blue blood programs jmu coming off a nice win solid win over villanova they have a trapped game potentially here even though they're winless in the conference william and mary never easy to play against the tribe you saw delaware struggle with those guys last week uh Head coach Jimmy Laycock is in his 38th season at William & Mary. <laughs> so he's a staple. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing, and he knows this conference top to bottom. Back when it was the old Yankee conference, he remembers all these teams. you yeah. know. And so JMU can't come in and take – Can't be cocky in this can't game. Can't be cocky because the tribe within their front seven is going to give them a fight. Where this game can get out of hand for – William and Mary is on the perimeter. Yeah. And that's where GMU is just on fire right now. Yes. And then we saw that last week against Villanova, who. Shorthanded, but still. Shorthanded, but normally Villanova is one of the top defensive teams, not just in the CIA, but in the country. And even though GMU only put up 30 points, it should have been a whole lot it more. It should have been that. a whole lot more, right. Let's move to. Do we have to do the Patriot League? We have uh, to. Okay, fine. We're obligated to. It, this game is intriguing to me because it's Bucknell against Lafayette. As you talked about, Lafayette, two and five, but they're two and zero oh in the conference. Two and zero so in the conference all that matters. I just want to see at least get to five hundred. So does Lafayette get to three and five? They can. Bucknell also. It, here's the thing with Bucknell. They were known as a defensive football team, and they'll win games thirteen nine, and 
you know, 6'3". Yeah. Kind of like Albany. Exactly. Similar team. Same, yeah. similar team. This year their offense seemed to have found their way. So they're putting up points. So I think this is going to be a fairly entertaining game. I gave Lafayette way too much props last week. <laughs> and I think they, they kind of heard the podcast, watched the video, yeah. filled themselves, walked, go. walked into Come that on. Harvard game. <laughs> And got beat down. So the Chris I, is like, um, "Excuse me, right. we have we have we are fully qualified for this game. We are we are going to destroy you in every phase. Thank you very much." And move right through. That, that's why that's why I'm afraid to 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 go all in on Lafayette right now. But I will say this: Coach John Garrett has done a great job with this program. They're, they're a young football team. They got a really good and one tight end we didn't even bring up in our tight end segment. They have one, a pro prospect in Dylan Wadsworth. You yeah. know, so he's a good one too. So. This this will be a game that people will will come back next week and be like, man, did you see that Bucknell Lafayette game? So <laughs> or that or they'll listen to this and they'll think, man, these guys are idiots. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> it's one of those two. I I mean, I've been called that in just normal life. Never mind a podcast. Uh, let's move on to this <laughs> to this one of the games in the swag featuring one of our winless teams, Jackson State against Southern. Big game for Southern though. Big game for Southern because they're trying to keep pace with Grambling. They want to keep this thing tight until the Bayou Classic. Right, and, and that way they can you know get the leg up and get into the SWAC championship game and hopefully get to the Celebration Bowl. This is usually one of the more well-attended games on yeah. the FCS schedule, so we should probably see over 50,000 you know, right. at Memorial Stadium in Jackson, Mississippi for this game. I love Southern's quarterback, Austin Howard. He's a, he's a, he plays a pro-style game. He's calm. He's decisive. Right now, Southern isn't where they once was or where they were last year. Right. As far as talent is concerned, they have some good talent. Um, I think they roll in this ball game, but I think the reason why this game is on the list is because Jackson State has to find a way to get off the mat. Yeah, you're coming off a very tough loss to Tuskegee, you know, and now you face a team in Southern that again, this is a big game uh, as far as rivalry is concerned. An atmosphere, an atmosphere. So you're going to have a huge, you know way to showcase your hey that we are improving despite we lost to division two school <laughs> so this is a game that they, they they're gonna i wouldn't be surprised if jackson state has a lead in this game early mm. and then southern pulls away and pulls away let's move on to the big sky and a team that no one's talking about in the big sky conference very much under the radar is northern arizona they're still undefeated in the conference play but they've got a real test coming to town uc davis coming in this one's a toss-up. If you if you like receivers, you're gonna get a, a treat in this ball game. You got Elijah Marks for Northern Iowa. You also have Keelan Doss for UC Davis. Mm -hmm. Both guys are just lighting up the, the scoreboard, filling up the stat sheet. So we're gonna see some great receiver play in this game. You're also gonna see a great quarterback in Case Cookus at Northern Iowa. I'm sorry, Northern Arizona. So you're gonna see some great offense. Which defense shows up will be the winner of this game. You gotta like what Dan Hawkins has done at UC Davis and Northern Arizona again. They have tremendous firepower on, on, on the perimeter. Yes. So we're going to see a lot of passes flying, a lot of passes going deep down the field. Whichever defense can get to stop will get the win. Let's move on to the OVC now. And, again, it's one of the feel-good stories, and that's the Governors of Austin P. Winless last year. They are very much in contention. And after what Eastern Illinois almost did, which is to lose to Murray State last week, they have to have confidence that if they can run the table, they can get in. But they've got a tough game, Southeast Missouri State coming to town. That's a very tough opponent uh, in the Red Hawks. And if Coach Healy is right up there with Coach Bagnoli as far as Coach of the Year candidates. Yes. You talk about Columbia being a doormat. Austin P was legit doormat. You know, <laughs> like legit doormat. And to, to the fact that they have turned it around so quickly. Yeah. And not just winning in the OVC. You know, they beat a very good Tennessee State team last week that I thought Tennessee State had a chance to win the conference. But the fact that they were – I keep bringing it up because it was just so impressive about how far they've come. They were competitive against the Bearcats of Cincinnati yeah. in that game and had a chance to win. Yeah, That's when I knew this team would be different this year. And we're seeing Jeremiah Oatesvall, the quarterback, the freshman quarterback, who I was told was like Johnny Manziel. We mm -hmm. saw him do things last week and make some plays. So, again, keep an eye on this team, man. If they can – Bill, some if they get into the playoffs, I think Healy is by far the coach of the year. And you got two teams that like to win games in close, close games, very balanced defensively to offensively. 
who makes the big play. It's gonna, I think this game is separated by one mistake. Right. The question is who makes it. Two other games, real quick, before we wrap things up here, that we I need to talk about here because they're huge. Big game in the Ivy League, Columbia, Dartmouth, both undefeated in conference play and overall. Who wins this? Oh, my goodness. They're going to have to watch the FCS kickoff to get my prediction. But I will say this <laughs> about this game. I, I wish this game got way more attention than any other game in the country. It should. It should. Dartmouth has really been good on both sides. They played great coming back against Sacred Heart to win that ball game when all looked lost. And Columbia, just from a feel-good story, we're out here in New York City area. I'm surprised it hasn't dominated the, the, the front page. It's the best story around here right now. I mean, the Giants are awful. The Jets lost to the Patriots this week in Buffalo disgusting lost. fashion. You know, you, Albany got, is okay. Syracuse got a big win. Syracuse did get a nice win this got past week. Got a nice week. win. You know, so Columbia should be the story. Yeah. This is the Columbia Lions we're talking about. <laughs> and so – we're not talking about PhDs. We're talking football right football. now. Football. And, and, <laughs> and we're not talking Sid Luckman. We're talking yeah. this day and age Columbia Lions football team. Yeah. And with their passing game, you talked about Anders Hill. We talked about Josh uh, Wainwright. But their defense is outstanding. Yeah, And absolutely. so they're playing a complete game right now. So is Dartmouth. This is going to be the best game in the Ivy League, more so than Harvard-Yale. And Yale is so doggone good, too. So yeah. I, I wish – I wish not only can they get to the playoffs, but they got to find a way to get a, a bowl game. I know they flirted with the idea oh, when yeah. they saw how the Celebration Bowl was doing. It's like, hey, we want to play a lower level FBS team in a bowl game in Florida. They were so specific with that. It was like, <laughs> won a game in January in Florida against a lower tier FBS team in Florida. In Florida, but you, but you know what it is? That, that's just for vacation for their boosters. Exactly. That's where their homes are anyway, so but, they can just get to the game. But imagine <laughs> imagine the confidence that they have to have to say. We can to beat call out like a, a Mac school, you know, like or like, set, or like um, UCF, right? You're like, come on, come on, we, we'll take go. UCF, you know, we because that's why I love the Ivy League so much. They're good, they're underrated, and they're cocky. They're cocky. <laughs> and one of the game, this game is going to be an absolute slugfest, but it's also going to be a party. Alcorn at Grambling, <sighs> massive game in the SWAC. I tell you what, I was at a home, an HBCU homecoming last week when I did the game at Morgan State. And I saw the video you were posting. You're driving in, and they're already it's, it's, dancing. It, the was, uh, it was lit at eight, 9 o'clock in the morning <laughs> already. And I know this game will be extra lit because Alcorn is good. And this is the this is the downside because this could be an elimination game for the Celebration Bowl. Even though they're on two different sides, yeah. you know, they'll probably play again in a SWAC championship game. But if – if they didn't have to play in the season, one can make a case that, hey, we're good enough to where we can be in the FCS playoffs. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so this is one of those those tough games. However, just covering the FCS, we should we, we should be thankful we get a game like this in week eight. Yeah. And so exactly. we get to get the preview of what we're going to probably see later on in November. So this game is going to be good because you got the leading rusher in the FCS is not Chase Edmonds. You know, it's not anybody else. It's yeah. Delance Turner of Alcorn State. And you're going to see a guy in Devontae Kincaid who has put up phenomenal numbers, and they also have a dynamic tailback in Martez Carter. So we're going to yes. see some great offense in this ball. And game. I think either one of these teams against NCANT would be an incredible game in the Celebration Bowl, even though they both deserve to get to the FCA playoff and dominate there. Well, we saw what that would look like two years ago. When A and T and Alcorn played, and that was a good Alcorn team, and A and T had Tariq Cohen. They had a, they had a difference maker. Yeah, I want to see A and T and Grambling. That's what we hadn't mm. seen yet. I want to see that game because I want to see yeah. those Grambling. two quarterbacks, Lamar Renard and 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 Kincaid. I want to see that happen. And a historic program in Grambling right. that is getting back to prominence, and they should stay there for a while if for this team is any indication. Folks, let's wrap things up real quick. I got to give a shout-out. I was at Merchant Marine out on Long Island, my alma mater, Springfield College, 7-0. and Now on the season, only four teams in D3 have that record. 35-13 win over Merchant Marine. We're now number 22 in the country. And the number one rushing offense, period. FBS, FCS, D2, D3. It's the pride of Springfield College, number one, going to our game last week. 
So y'all, so y'all ready for Syracuse? We'll take on Syracuse. Yeah, that's that's fine. So y'all, so y'all want the Giants now? We could probably beat the Giants at this point, <laughs> even, though they beat, even though they beat Denver this past. Last Do night. y'all? You want me to make the phone call to Columbia right now and say, <laughs> "I got a challenge." We, we got your game for you. <laughs> we'll go down to Florida. We want to get out of Springfield. That's fine. Emery, you had a busy week last week. You were all over the country. Where are you going to be this weekend? This week, I will be the color commentator for the Georgetown Fordham game, Patriot League. Basketball season starting already? <laughs> they wanted to with, uh, with Coach Patrick Ewan down there. But Georgetown football, Fordham football, 2 p.m. Eastern time on the Patriot League Network and watchstadium.com. You can watch the stream live. We'll be on the broadcast with Mike Niebrick. Uh, he he will be my other color guy. He was the okay. former quarterback at Fordham. So it's always good to connect with Mike Niebrick and Jeremy Huber, my play-by-play guy. Uh, he does a great job. Um, so finally getting back to, to with the old gang, and, and we're calling that ball game. And watch that one be another classic. The, the last, of course. The last two games we did with Georgetown, the, the last time Georgetown played Fordham at home, it came down to the wire. This one, George, uh, Fordham still had Coach Joe Moorhead. And they, okay. the, and all that offense, and so they had to really work their way to, to beat Georgetown. Georgetown will come to this game with great defense, great special teams. Can they find offense is always the question. Can Fordham not allow Georgetown to score? You saw Georgetown uh, scored 35 points last week, but it was against Lehigh. So we know how Lehigh defenses get down. <laughs> so we'll see. This is going to be a fun game. That's be, how I'll be. It'll be entertaining, absolutely. Folks, again, thank you so much for listening in for our Week 8 preview. This has been the Football Game Plan FCS Opening Drive Podcast presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Follow my man Emery at FBall Game Plan on Twitter, at the FCS Kickoff, at FCS Opening Drive, and footballgameplan.com slash FCS Kickoff. Enjoy all the games. Have a great weekend.